Hello and welcome on into Kicking It, the Northwestern Soccer Podcast. Back again for another round. Um, and we're very excited this week. We have a special guest, maybe not so special. He's just making his first appearance on the podcast. That's a uh, terrific introduction to somebody on the podcast for the first time. I want you to feel special, Jake. This is Jake Liker, a first year here at WNR Sports. Is this your first appearance on anything WNUR? Uh, I was a sound engineer over the weekend for so the yes. fall ball. So yes. Yes. So yes. Yes. So yes. yes, absolutely. Also fall ball. Doesn't count for yeah, anything. Yeah. We're very happy to have you, Jake. <laughs> Austin Miller here with Amit and Alec, your usual kicking The in. usual suspects. The usual suspects, yeah. of course. But Jake, uh, again, you are very welcome. We appreciate having you on the show. We got a good show tonight, Amit. Yeah. Hey, we, I mean, do we ever have a not good show? We, we never have a bad show. Just go one uh, another day. Yeah, we're talking Northwestern's women's soccer, Northwestern's men's soccer, and we got some World Cup qualifying takes to dish out. Austin, jersey of the week. Wearing his good old Brazil jersey, yeah, pretty this reliable. Is, this is the cheapest jersey I own. No name on the back. I'm pretty sure I got it at Kohl's one time. Um, we're going to have to upgrade our Brazil kit before the World Cup next summer. But, you know, it gets the job done. Will we have to upgrade our USA kits? Maybe not. I don't stay, know. Stay tuned. Um, let's get it started, though, with, as we do as usual, the Northwestern's women's soccer team. Uh, coming off of a road trip, there's technically still in the middle, but two games in Indiana. They played Indiana on Thursday, and they played Purdue on Sunday, won the first game 2-1 in a comeback, then lost to the Boilermakers 2-0 against a very solid Purdue team. Let's start with that Indiana game. What stood out to you from this one? You know, what was impressive about the Wildcats' comeback win? About 45 seconds in, Amit, I wanted to ban the Big Ten Network as a TV channel. Because the last time Northwestern played on the Big Ten Network, they were defeated 3-0 by Penn State. And 50 seconds into this one against Indiana, they found themselves down a golden hill. I actually tweeted out from this FAD account, a ranking of all TV channels in Big Ten Network came in last. But it was not the end of the story. Thankfully, they do play longer than 50 seconds. And I was pleased by what I saw from Northwestern. Uh, to go down behind that early, that's not something we saw this team do a lot of last year to come back in matches. And now we've seen them do it a couple times this year, and I think that's a really encouraging sign. I thought Marissa Vigiano, man of the match for Northwestern, I thought she provided good delivery again, had the assist on the game-winning goal to Cherneski. Really good finish from Cherneski on that. Not something you necessarily expect all the time, but she kind of got her foot onto one and poked it home. Steigletter with her first collegiate goal. Impressive from Northwestern and a really good three points, which is always hard to do in conference play on the road. Jake, what were, what were your thoughts on this one in a game that, you know, only five shots total for Northwestern? How were they able to, to get two goals? Uh, you know, the way things have gone for Northwestern, it's just kind of remarkable when you look at the stats for this season. They have scored 14 goals on 150 shots, and their opponents have scored 14 goals on 151 shots. So you really have this interesting 50-50 split. Some go your way and some don't in the end. Uh, but it was still very impressive from Northwestern other than conceding 41 seconds in, which is a new record for the program, earliest goal they've ever conceded. Um, it was such a weird play, And though. so one thing I heard from Coach Moynihan is that field was very wet, yeah, very dewy. can imagine. And, I mean, you saw the goal, Kayla Sharples just slipped. Yeah, she just lost her Nothing footing. really you could do about it. It's just a weird, fluky play. Yeah, and didn't and didn't maybe recover as she would have wanted in that and, situation. And you told me when we were watching, McKenna and Gotti actually recovered well from yeah, Kayla Sharples. It was a good got finish. Got in the way of that. It was a good finish from Maya Piper for Yeah, Indiana. just put it between the legs and... 
Clem at that that range, you know, not much exactly yeah. you could do. It's as we said last week. Look, Indiana is a thoroughly adequate Big Ten team, and they've shown themselves to be that. The loss to Illinois that they finished the weekend with, not great. Probably not the homestand the Hoosiers were looking for. But this is a good result for Northwestern. I thought they bounced back well. They maybe didn't respond as quickly as they would have liked in the first half. I thought Indiana still had a lot on the ball. But once this team came out of halftime, it looked like they were completely different. Brenna Lavera assisting Steigletter for the first goal. Cherneski finishing off that second one. And Jake, as we said, it's never easy to win on the road in conference play. No matter who it is, no matter where you're at. So for Northwestern, to not just get three points, but to get it in the manner that they did in this match is is, is a good result. Absolutely. That's got to do a lot, you have to imagine, just for the team's psyche. That is their first comeback victory on the road uh, this year. So it will be interesting to see how that affects them going forward, especially looking later on into the Big Ten tournament, of course, if they can get there because they will likely find themselves playing quite a few more road games this year. And getting wins like that under your belt can give you that confidence that will come in handy. And this is something you and I talked about a minute. This is not something we saw from Northwestern last year. You, if they, they went down by they, a goal... They didn't come back in any game you last won, year. You wondered where that was going to come from. How would they respond? Um, and we've seen it multiple times this year. They went behind against Loyola Marymount, got a result out of that match. They went behind against Missouri, got a, got a win out of that match. They went behind against Indiana, got a win out of that match. I feel like the offense is maybe not at a top-tier caliber. But it's just infinitely better than... You know, not that last year's was bad, but you just look at the numbers last year. You feel, so many FCPs. You feel they can get a result, and you feel a little more confident about this team's ability to respond from the run of play if they do go behind. Yeah, and, and I think that's important. They they really dominated the possession. I thought basically there was a little bit, like you said, also in the first half where Indiana had some of the ball, but second half was all Wildcats, and pretty impressive to to get the, that comeback. Let's move on to the Purdue match. A tough result for Northwestern. Two zero defeat. Um, Austin, you think Purdue was simply simply put the better team? Uh, what what prompted you to say that? In I thought a scrappy game, but one that Northwestern ultimately just not where they needed to be. Purdue's a good team. Purdue is not a fluke for them to be atop the Big Ten table right now. I know that Penn State is a team that will probably many will expect to catch the Boilermakers at some point. But that's a very solid Purdue team. We talked about Maddie Williams last week as the dangerous player. She got the goal in Purdue's win against Illinois, a match that I watched last week. She looked dangerous. Uh, And then Kylie Hass, the freshman, with a brace for the Boilermakers. Exactly what they were looking for. Yeah, no, I don't think it was the type of situation where Purdue was demonstratively better than Northwestern, where it looked like they were on a different (coughs) tier. But it did look like Purdue had the better opportunities. I thought this might have been Lauren Clem's best match of the year for Northwestern. She came up with a, a number of really good saves for the Wildcats to keep them in this match. Unfortunately for her, all of the the saves that she made, both of the goals, I should say, came off of Lauren Clem's saves. And it wasn't a situation where uh, Lauren Clem gave up a rebound. She should have done better. I thought Lauren Clem did everything she could to keep her team in this match. Northwestern just maybe conceded a bit too many opportunities. Purdue kind of got in some scramble situations and was kind of able to flick the ball home a couple of times and walk out 2-0 winners, put themselves atop the Big Ten table. This is not a bad result for Northwestern, I don't think. Um, it's a good Purdue team. I think this is a Purdue team that will find themselves in the NCAA tournament, and deservedly so. Yeah, I think it, you could see a, a reverse fixture in the Big Ten tournament. It would certainly be interesting, to, also depending if it would probably be uh, at a neutral site in Indiana. Looks like it could be a potential yeah. semifinal match, yeah. depending on where it's would, would be really table. interesting. Jake, I want to ask you, three points from two games. Last week, Austin and I said six was doable, 
three or four would be okay. How do you feel about one win and one loss? Um, given the opponents that they had, no, this was a perfectly reasonable result. Again, sometimes the chips are just going to fall where they may, especially when you're on the road against a team like Purdue. Shout out to Lauren Clem, by the way. That was her 79th consecutive start, which ties the program record. Um, but this team needed at least something from this uh, two-game road trip here, and they got the three points they needed against Indiana. It didn't really work out for them against Purdue. I don't think that they can reasonably now repeat as Big Ten regular season. Oh, don't doubt, Jake. Don't doubt. Don't doubt, baby. There's a lot of time, but, I mean, the facts are what they are, and the table doesn't lie. let's, Let's talk about it. That's what I actually want to get to next. We're looking at these Big Ten standings. Northwestern has played a match more than a lot of the teams. They have six, and all the teams ahead of them have played five. It's because Northwestern's only playing one match this weekend, so everyone around them has a game in hand. But they're right in the thick of it. They're on ten. Three other teams are on ten. Penn State and Minnesota and Rutgers. Ohio State is on twelve, and Purdue is on thirteen. If Northwestern takes care of business against Illinois and gets 13, I think they're in a fine spot. They're still probably going to be playing a little bit of catch-up around the other teams. But as long as they stay in that mix, I think 13 is fine. Northwestern was handed a lot of blessings this weekend. Austin, what broke their way that allows them to stay kind of in this in this thicket? Well, we talked about it a bit. You know, Penn State has dropped points at times. Wisconsin, a team that you and I are definitively out on, were defeated by Rutgers. Um... Rutgers lost to Minnesota, so that's a a place where you probably didn't expect the Scarlet Knights to drop points that they did. Michigan, a team that was kind of hovering around, left the weekend with only two points against Iowa and Nebraska, two teams down near the bottom half of the table. So Northwestern is, is yes, behind at this point in the standings, but I think of all of these teams, Northwestern probably has the easiest fixtures remaining. Yeah, Wisconsin... Is a team is probably the best team left on this on the fixture list for now. And they're not as good as they're not as good as their ranking is. They're not as good as their RPI is. Illinois is will get to a very winnable game. Minnesota very winnable for this Northwestern team. Minnesota is not what they were last year. And that Nebraska Michigan State those closing two matches. I think you like your chances there. So yes, Northwestern is behind in the table. I think we'll get a clear picture after this weekend when the Wildcats play one and you see those teams around them lose those games in hand and we'll we'll be a, a bit more on even footing. But I like where Northwestern's at right now. Obviously, it's not ideal. You want to be at the top of the table. A win against Purdue would have put you in really, really good position. But I don't think by any means they're out of this. When you say you like their chances, their chances for what? To win, to get a yeah. share of the Big Ten title. You really think they'll be able to pull that off? Absolutely. I Given think the you fig- look at their, their schedule left, five matches, and they're all teams that are lower than them. And they're only three points off. Now, given there is a game in hand, and six points is hard to overcome, but if Purdue slips up at all, this is so congested at the top. Northwestern got a share last year because it was congested at the top. And Northwestern is in a situation where the teams in front of them are going to be playing each other. Penn State still has to play Rutgers and Purdue, so that's somebody's going to drop points in that match. Purdue still has to play Penn State. They still have a road trip to Wisconsin that could be difficult for them. Minnesota has shown that they can knock off teams. And I don't think Purdue is of this class that you'd expect them just sweep through matches. Rutgers still has a homestand where they have to play Penn State and Ohio State in the same weekend. Honestly, at this point, Ohio State might be the favorite because of where they're at in the table. They have 12. And their matches still remaining. They don't, they already played Penn State. They beat Penn State. And so their toughest game left is at Rutgers. This is still wide open. I don't think you can say that any team that's on 10 points or above is out of it. I like the fixture list a lot for Northwestern, and I would not be surprised to see them keep making their way up the table as they watch the teams in front of them pick each other off. 
Yeah, I think worst case for Northwestern is that all the teams that they don't want to pick up points in that extra game in hand do so. That would, you know, kind of leave them a little flustered. But if they get three points, it doesn't really matter with the other team. They can't control it right now. As long as they get to 13 against Illinois, they have a chance, I think, going the rest of the way, considering that then their their game in hand, they don't have to worry about that for the rest of the season. So take a look at what the fixtures are this weekend. Northwestern will be playing Illinois. That's a match that we'll break down here in a little bit. Rutgers has their West Swing, where they go to Iowa and Nebraska. Those are two really difficult matches. You have a long bus ride generally in between that. It's hard to play those back-to-back. Again, Iowa and Nebraska are, are bottom table teams, but they just picked off a couple of scalps this past weekend against Michigan. Each of them picked up a point in that match. Purdue goes to Wisconsin and Minnesota. I think and you, would, you, you wouldn't would, anticipate six points from that. That looks like three not, or four. Especially with those matches the way that they are on uh, Friday and Sunday for Purdue. Very quick turnaround. Those are very solid teams. Again, Northwestern's ahead of them in the table. Penn State probably has the easiest fixtures this weekend. They get the Michigan teams to come to Happy Valley. So I think you'd probably like Penn State's chances to get six points from there. But again... Then after that, they still have to go to Rutgers, and they still have to play Purdue. So again, for Northwestern, they are by no means yeah. out of this. You just watch what happens this weekend and then reevaluate yeah. where you're at. I think going back to that worst-case scenario, as long as no team gets over 16 points mm-hmm. by the end of this weekend, which actually the only team that can do that are Ohio State and um, Purdue, Purdue, as long as those teams don't get over 16, you feel fine if Northwestern gets to 13 because no matter what, they'd be within three which is all you need given Northwestern's easy fixture list down the back end. And again, the two final matches for Northwestern, I think you really like what those look like. Nebraska picked off a point against Penn State, but coming to Martin Stadium, I don't know that you'd like Nebraska's chances. And Michigan State is about all you could ask for in a final match because you like your chances to get three points. It's just like last and year. And who knows what can happen on that final night with all of the permutations. I mean, I'll ask you, Jake. What where would you put the chances at? And be realistic. We... We're trying to just gauge it the end of the season. It's really tough because, obviously, like we said, no one wants to be, you know, on ten points, three points out with a cluster of teams. But we're looking at it, and it's it's very doable. I mean, it's obviously doable. It's all doable when you're still technically only three points off the top of the table. It's just there's so many teams above them that they've already played. You don't really have any of those six-point swings left, save for maybe that home match against Minnesota, which is really what it's going to come down to if they want a shot at winning the Big Ten or at least a share of it. That match against Minnesota is going to be make or break. Yeah, I think for Northwestern, again, they don't control their own destiny, and so that would be, you know, obviously you wish that you were in a situation where you can just win out. But for Northwestern, there's no reason to admit that they can't get 15 points from their final five. And so because of that, you know, see where it's at. If you finish the end of the year on 25 points in the conference, I think you'll be you're, right up where you want to be. You're in the range. So I think Northwestern will be all right. But it's going to, first of all, it all starts with this weekend. We've been talking about it. Northwestern needs three points to stay in this hunt. Anything less than that, and I think we can all agree that their chances at least of repeating are slim to none. Yeah. So this is the biggest game of the season so far, especially because this is a team that Northwestern can and should beat. But it's also a team that can be dangerous to Because it's a, it's a rivalry. Uh, Illinois is a very good goalkeeper. You know, what stands out from this Illinois team that's going to give Northwestern problems? For me, it's that goalkeeper. It's Jalen Cunningham. She's very athletic. She can make a lot of saves. And she is the type of goalkeeper that I think can have a stormer and keep her team in a match. And with Northwestern's offense where it's at, 
that could mean that you could see a situation where Cunningham comes up big, makes a lot of saves on set pieces, denies them from open play, and Northwestern maybe gets held to just a point in this match. If that, I think that is the way that this match doesn't go in Northwestern's favor. It's if Cunningham is on top level and plays really well for Illinois. I don't know that Illinois really scares you offensively. Again, they put three past Indiana, but before that, they'd yet to pick up a point in the Big Ten, and they'd only scored one goal. Granted, that was against the Rutgers defense that we've seen is, is pretty strong, at least numbers-wise. But all things considered, Illinois lost to Illinois State. They lost to Missouri. They beat DePaul. This is a game that even on the road, I think Northwestern will really like their chances for three points. And admit, I think this could be a Moynihan special where you go in, in the first 20 minutes, you pick off a goal, and then you just say to Illinois, come at us. And they're not yeah. going to be able to. I think the most telling stats is that Jalen Cunningham, third in the, or sorry, fourth in the country in total saves with 86, second in the conference in saves per game. But overall, Illinois' team shutout percentage is 318th in the country out of 321. So even for all of Jalen Cunningham's work, they, this is a team that can't keep clean sheets. They kept one all yeah. year, and that was against Miami of Ohio. And so for Northwestern... And is Northwestern going to be another team that's not going to score against Illinois? So. No, and the question is if you get one, you feel very good about it. The problem is, you know, Illinois could stretch it. They could say, you're going to have to really earn it by coming overtime. That's not what Northwestern wants. I think, as you said, Austin, this is a game where they want to score early and then see it out. I think the big thing here for Northwestern, what could really do them in in the end, is that they have still yet to score a goal in the first 15 minutes of a match in the season. And they've allowed three in the first 15. Illinois, you know, this could be finally like the burden that has been lifted off of their shoulders. They've lost so many matches in a row. Like the L's, they just run down the screen. There's seven of them. And then they finally beat Indiana. If they can keep that confidence going with an early counterattack goal in the first 15 minutes, if Northwestern gambles a little too much, they get too aggressive trying to put the foot in their throat in the first 15 minutes, that could be where they run into trouble. They cannot let Illinois get the first goal because that's the only way the Fighting Illini are going to believe that they have a chance in this match. Definitely agree with you. That would be a nightmare for Northwestern. This isn't a game where they have to start strong. Even if you don't get that early goal, 100% agree. You cannot go down early because... That's exactly what Illinois want. They would just, you know, bunker up and force Northwestern to come from behind. They could do it, but it's, again, not how they're built to play still. I, I like Northwestern's chances in this match. I think I think they will score early. Maybe not super early, but I think a first-half goal is on the cards for Northwestern. And I don't know that I like Illinois' ability to get back in a match against Northwestern in that situation. Uh, you look at that Indiana match for Illinois, the Fighting Illini scored one in the first half, and then three goals came in the final ten minutes. A pair for the Illini, and then a late consolation goal for Indiana once this game was already wrapped up with Illinois leading 3-0. For Northwestern, an early goal, a first half goal, if you get to halftime and you haven't conceded, I think they'll like where they're at, and I think they'll like their chances for three points. And then, as we said, Amit, then you see what happens. You sit and you scoreboard yeah, watch. We might have to break out some uh, women's Big Ten women's soccer yeah, bracketology exactly, I know. back you see, on WNUR. You see what happens on yeah. Thursday, Friday, and Sunday with everybody else, and then you take the temperature of, all right, where are we at now after the weekend, and then you figure out, all right, how likely is it for us to keep climbing up the table, or is it going to be a long shot? So from Austin, it sounds like you may be a 1-0 win. No, 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 two no. 2-0. Zero. 2-0. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. zero. Oh, yeah. Easy. 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 Okay, great. Easy peasy. Set piece. Sharples, and then a run of play, yeah. Steigletter, second collegiate goal. Heard it here first. Easy. Jake, what's your prediction for this weekend? I know consensus is no fun, but I've also got 2-0. Okay, great. But consensus usually means that there's a 
a likely scenario. And just <laughs> just don't say 2-0, Mitt. What's your prediction? Uh, I think it's 1-0. There you go. There I you think, go. That's fine. I think, That's fine. I think this it. is we'll going to be it. a secretly tough game, but Northwestern, even in a 1-0 scoreline, will not be troubled, uh, at least on their own back line. Um, let's move on to men's soccer, um, a team that, being fair, has struggled this season, but also being fair, has played... An absolutely yeah, did brutal not get schedule. Any favors from the schedule makers? Um, they're coming off their third ranked team or their second ranked team in a row. Uh, they're three third, out of four. Three with out that of UIC four. Game sandwiched in there. Yeah, Indiana, Michigan, Maryland. Uh, they're coming off of a tough three zero loss to Maryland. Can we glean anything from this? What did we learn from this game? It seems like again, it's just a really tough team. And when we say really tough, we mean top five team in the country that Northwestern faced off against. Maryland is a ridiculously good program. They have been a ridiculously good program. And Maryland essentially did what they wanted in this match. They scored in the 20th minute. Then they picked up another one before halftime. And then straight out of the break, they added a third. Maryland outshot Northwestern 17-2. to um, Northwestern was forced into 10 saves from Robbie White, who played in goal. I've liked what I've seen from White this year think that'll be really interesting to see what going forward Tim Lenahan does between White and Mishkovich. I think that's one of the big questions down the stretch for this team. Um, Northwestern was just beat and, and Maryland's a really good team and Maryland's going to do that to a lot of different teams. And unfortunately for Northwestern, uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. They're playing Notre Dame uh, just about as we speak. We will have that recap for you next week. But it's, it's tough, man. It's just the type of the time of year where the games are just adding on to each other, and they're just ranked teams after ranked teams that are really troubling the Wildcats. And again, this would trouble any team in college soccer. Any team outside of the top 25, you put them in a stretch of games against Michigan, Maryland, and Notre Dame back-to-back-to-back, the within, results would probably be the same. Yeah. Jake, w- what do you think about Northwestern's struggle so far, and you know, what are the bright spots for this team? Uh, the bright spot is they get Western Illinois at 2 p.m. on a Monday. They have DePaul. They have some places where they can at least pick up some wins that they just haven't experienced in a while. You look back at that Maryland game, just if you want like a good sense of how good a team is. The attendance for that match was over 4,000 people. It's the Terps for you. They're basically an ACC program moonlighting in the Big Ten, and they take their soccer seriously. They are liking what they've seen so far. If the, the plus side for Northwestern, we saw this last year, Mitt, they did go on a little bit of a run to end the year, and I think that is certainly possible again for the Wildcats because they get all of their tough Big Ten games out of the way. Uh, Rutgers, yet to pick up a point in the Big Ten. They've only scored three goals. They're still on the Northwestern schedule. Wildcats closed the year against Penn State. They've yet to pick up a point in the Big Ten. Michigan State is a difficult game for Northwestern. They're another top-tier Big Ten team. They're on 10 points, just one back of Maryland at the top of the table. You might not like your chances in that. But for Northwestern, you look at it. Rutgers, Penn State, DePaul, Western Illinois, four of their final six matches, definitely winnable. Um, I think they Loyola is a good program. Michigan State's a good program. Those will both be difficult. But Northwestern definitely could end this year on a high note with a little bit of a run. And as we've said, you get into the Big Ten tournament, doesn't matter what happened in the regular season because Tim Lenahan is going to get a, set his tactics as he wants. His team has something to play for. They're in with a chance to make a run, and you never know what can happen. This team just needs points. That's all it really comes down to because at a certain point, zero becomes not just a number but a state of mind. When you look at the table and you see all those zeros, it is just upsetting, really. And you have to wonder what you are doing wrong, and it becomes very easy 
to get discouraged. And that's why it's important that they get these Western Illinois and, and their DePauls and their Loyolas because those wins, they do mean something. Even if they're not counting in conference play, it's just good for, again, the mindset. Yeah, it would be great for Northwestern to end this year with six wins. You know, obviously, no one's going to remember this as a great season. But if you at least look at the schedule, just you're crossing over and you see six wins, you're like, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you see two, and you're like, well, that's really troubling. Western Illinois and DePaul are both winnable games. I think Western Illinois might even be the more talented of those two teams. DePaul's a team that lost to Valpo, a team that Northwestern's already beaten. You'd think that that matchup probably ends up pretty even. And then, as we said, Penn State and Rutgers are still on the Big Ten schedule. They also have yet to pick up points in the Big Ten. They're these three teams marooned at the bottom of the table, and they still get a chance to all play each other. So there's a chance for Northwestern to, as you said, Jake, just get that zero off their back. And I think you don't take confidence from this, but you take a little bit of solace in looking around and seeing, yeah, in State College, they've got a zero on their back too. Out in Piscataway, they've got a zero on their back. It's not just the Northwestern problem. Some years the Big Ten shakes out top-heavy. That's just how it is. And if you're not one of those good teams, you have to play the good teams. That's what's going to happen. All I really want for this team, at least, is to get a road win. Again, looking at that would be, DePaul, that would be great. zero and six this year on the road. Just something as simple as winning against DePaul after a short bus ride, it can do a lot for a team. Definitely. Let's talk a bit about this Western Illinois match. Yeah. Again, a Monday afternoon special. Uh, the Leathernecks coming to town at Martin Stadium. Again, this is a pretty adequate slash average collegiate soccer team. They are four yeah. and five. They beat Kansas City, a team that beat Northwestern. It's really the only result that sticks out. They got hammered by Bowling Green 2-0. Bowling Green's a really good Mac soccer program. Put a couple goals past Green Bay early on in the year. For Western Illinois, what sticks out, 14 goals on the year. Two players have scored 12 of them. Drew Whalen has six. Fernando Pacheco, the Mexican, has six. So for Northwestern, admit you probably key in on those two guys and you say, all right, let's not let Whalen and Pacheco beat us. Let's see how long we can keep that sheet clean and let's go do what we get, did against UIC. Do what we did against Valpo and, and take this match and win it. Yeah, if Northwestern gets to halftime and hasn't conceded, you like their chances actually in the second half. They're, they're a very well-conditioned team to get a late winner. Um, Western Illinois scoring offense is, you know, top 25th percentile in the country, uh, just 1.7 a game. It's very good. And then they're also, their saves per game is 20th in the country. Uh, their goalie, Timothy Troke, I believe, fourth in the, uh, sorry, 20th in the country in saves, 5.11 a game. So a little bit of balance on both sides. But outside of that, Western Illinois, pretty unremarkable. And Jake, I think you look at those goal scoring numbers and they are what they are, but then you realize that two players have scored six of them. Those are the players that Northwestern will have to be aware of and have to mark. I mean, the good news for Northwestern is, okay, there's only two guys that you really have to devote all your attention to. The bad news is that those two guys are really good at what they do. You look at Northwestern, their scoring defense, they've given up 20 matches, uh, twenty goals in 10 matches, two per game. It really only seems to take one or two against Northwestern, and that's normally what happens against them. You just can't come away from this match with another loss. I mean, that's really just... It only gets worse with every single <coughs> loss, especially, again, on a Monday at 2 p.m. against Western Illinois. You have to at least come away with the draw. Yeah, I think at home against a team that's not a Big Ten power, Northwestern's got to be circling this one. This is a big chance for us to, you know, just get some points on the board. And interesting little note on those two attackers, Drew Whalen played in every game but hasn't started one. 
So a bit of a bench threat. Maybe they change looks. We'll see how it looks in-game. But Northwestern defense just has to remain vigilant. I think, as you said, Austin, they take care of Will, they take care of Pacheco. They could get some They could get some points. You're throwing up the threes. What's your prediction, Austin? Taking the win. 1-0 for Northwestern. Second half goal. I think they can defend well. I think the teams that have given Northwestern problems is not necessarily the strong individual talents, but the really comprehensive teams that have you know, eight or nine guys who can beat you. I don't think Western Illinois is that. I think Northwestern will win this, and it'll be a fairly comfortable result for the Wildcats. Uh, give me 2-1 Northwestern in overtime. I'm not quite confident enough Just to like say the they can game. Yeah. Just like the Valpo game. Uh, we'll see. We'll have the call on Monday on WNUR Sports. Um, I know it's a mid-afternoon game, but if you're driving around mm-hmm. Evanston or you're near a computer, tune in. Could mm-hmm. be a good one. Uh, that about wraps it up for the Northwestern soccer talk. Oh, man. I'm Let's hyped. go big picture. I am hype a we're, bit now. We're here for the World Cup qualifying watch, and... You know, we are in USA, a few of us are USA fans here, but warning right now, if you're <laughs> if you're not going to tolerate USA slander, you're in the wrong podcast, because Austin true. Miller true. is sta- staunchly anti-USA soccer. I'm not necessarily anti-USA soccer, I am staunchly anti-Bruce Arena, though. I am staunchly <laughs> like anti-Jorge Villafania still being a member of the United States men's national team. You I am staunchly anti-Giasse Zardes still playing a role. He's, I know he's injured he's, and he got cut from the squad, but if he wouldn't have gotten injured, you know Bruce Arena would have chucked Giasse Zardes out there. So, yes. Your left back depth is incredible when it's Giasse, uh, when it's uh, Jorge Villafania and then Demarcus Beasley, who is in his sixth World Cup qualifying cycle. Yeah. It's big, though, Amit. Um, World Cup qualifying for the United States. You look at the CONCACAF table, they are in fourth right now, which is the playoff spot. That would be either Syria or Australia coming out of the Asian Confederation at the moment. Um, The United States hosts Panama on Friday night in Orlando. Panama is in third place right now. That is the final direct World Cup spot. And then the United States has what is probably the easiest away match in the hex, which is Trinidad and Tobago, who will most likely be eliminated by that point. So a bit of a dead rubber for them, but it's also CONCACAF, and you know they would love to there's slay no, the United There's States. no easy road trip. No, but it is, it is comparatively, I think it's the easiest of the six. I think you'd rather go yeah, there than be going sure. to Honduras or Costa Rica. Um, so for the United States... It's still kind of on a knife edge, I think. But I think it all comes down to this Friday. Yeah, it Jake, does. Jake, how do you how do you anticipate this match going against Panama? It's a fastball right down the middle for Jake Liker to hit over the left field wall. <laughs> how do I anticipate this match going? Um, <laughs> I know how it's gonna go. <laughs> again, again, uh, like Northwestern men's soccer, I can't say I'm too confident in the United States men's soccer team to get the job done in ninety minutes, especially what we've seen them do as of late and especially uh, at home against the uh, Panama side who still probably has not forgotten what happened during the last World Cup side. So, yeah, so. yeah, that was heartbreaking for them and they're looking at their first World Cup. Yep. This is a really determined Panama side and they're pretty solid. And they've played the United States tight they recently. They've played 1-1 draws yeah. in their last four meetings. One of them went to penalty kicks that the U.S. actually lost. It was, but third, it was a third place. It was a third so place, so it, doesn't, it was pretty much a 1-1 draw. But group stage a, Gold Cup, they've played them tight. It's a team that USA can't seem to get a hold of. And Panama has the advantage of the draw is the good result for Panama. They're, they're ahead bunkered, of the table in the United very States. Bunkered in. If Panama comes out of that match in Orlando with the point that they start with, Panama controls their own destiny. They have a harder match to close the hex. Um, Panama will be, go, will be hosting... 
Costa Rica, but again, Costa Rica could already be qualified, so Panama might like their chances there. But if Panama leaves Orlando with the point they started with, they control their own destiny as far as a direct spot into the World Cup. For the United States, a draw is probably enough to get you into the playoff because I don't know that you feel terribly must, confident. Just the, the, Honduras has left. I mean, Honduras is not catching the United tough. States easily. Honduras is also not good. Like, that is they're also not important a, to remember. Not a good team. This is, they're not nearly as good as they were in qualifying for the 2010 and 2014 World Cup, and they were pretty bad at those World Cups. Honduras is a Still significant you have to pick up a point level behind. I mean, Honduras isn't very good, but they drew the United States. Well, I mean, what That's true. Stay about I think it's... Honduras? I mean, they still have to play Mexico and Costa Rica. We could be looking at a screenwriter's dream with the United States going off against Syria for the spot in the World Cup. I think... You, I would love to see that happen. It's been something that yeah. I've wanted to happen, but I don't know that I feel very good about Syria's chances against the Socceroos. Australia is, I think, a significantly better side. Syria has been running on jet fumes to get as far as they have. Um, I think more likely you're probably looking at Australia and Panama, which is a bit less of a screenwriter's dream. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. I think, the, I, um, I think the optics of USA having to play a playoff would be really bad for the program. I think... It's scary. It doesn't matter who yeah, you're going even up against. If, even if it's an, a quote-unquote easier beatable team, anything could happen in a two-legged playoff. You don't want to go on the road to some Asian team with a World Cup on the line. The USA, in my mind, has to get into this third-place spot. If they get to fourth and they get in, you know what, fine. You get in. But it's just such a bad look for the program. I think they really need to get these three points. They need to get third place. And the way to do it is to beat Panama. And the problem is, Panama is going to let them have the ball, and the U.S. is going to have to prove what they've never proved. They can break down an organized CONCACAF side. And, this has, and again, we've seen the rise in quality from CONCACAF side, specifically on the defensive end. Obviously, Costa Rica is kind of the, the poster boy of this. But this Panama, you know, Costa Rica wrote the game plan to how to beat the U.S. on the road. They bunkered in, they defended, they frustrated Pulisic, they frustrated the United States men's national team midfield, and then they were ruthless on the counterattack. And that is the recipe for Panama as well. They have those pacey players, they have some dangerous players up top. They're veteran, and again, as you said, they are absolutely hungry for a World Cup, which would be the first in their country's history, and they'd love to do that straight away and not have to worry about playing a playoff against an Asian team that they're probably better than. This is also a veteran Panama team. Las Perez is 36-year-old. Luis Tejada, 35 years old. Godoy, Cooper in the midfield. Gabriel Gomez is 33. These guys know. This is it. Yeah, You're done after this. They've been waiting for this, and this is just a really tricky match. I know it's at home, but this is not a team. This is going to be so determined, and if Christian Pulisic was mad with Costa Rica and Honduras' tactics, he is going to be in for a rough, rough night against a Panama team that will pull out every trick in the book. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Panama knows a point here is probably good for them. I think you, yeah. Panama would take their point and then see what happens. It, control your own destiny against a Costa Rica team that already has their berth. Again, three points for Panama, yeah. and they are absolutely golden because three points, they're in the World Cup. They're four yeah. points ahead of the United States. The U.S. is left fighting for that playoff spot. Yeah. I, it's really hard for me to envision the U.S. missing the World Cup flat out by the end of October. Again, you get to the playoff, you never know what can happen. I have not been impressed by Honduras at any point. Away to a Costa Rica team that still needs a result to clinch the World Cup. I think Costa Rica wants to do that in style. So I would like Costa Rica's chances to get three points there. And then Honduras are home against Mexico. Again, Mexico already has their tickets booked for Russia. But you know that Juan Carlos Osorio and this Mexican team, they don't want to suffer a negative result at any point here in the qualifiers. And so what they'd be looking to do 
is pick up three points against Honduras. So I think the U.S. probably has fourth place locked up. But again, it could be a coin flip at that point. But it's I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Panama gets that third spot and directly goes. So Jake, I want to ask you, will the U.S. finish in third, free qualification, or will they have to duke it out in a playoff? Or will they finish all the way in fifth? Or will they finish in fifth? They won't finish in fifth. Watching on their couch. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing them going to like Port of Spain and losing a Trinidad and Tobago. I expect them to finish fourth here. I, I okay. see I see I a scoreless draw against Panama. I think the real question is what is Costa Rica's mindset going to be going into that last match against Panama? Is Costa Rica going to be giving it their all or not? Because if they are, that looks very good for the United States in terms of finishing third. Yeah, and uh, again, Weird things happen on final match days. Um, simultaneous kickoffs are a wonderful thing, and you just never really know what's going to happen. You saw it in 2014. The United States was completely out of it, and they burst Panama's World Cup dream, and they let Mexico sneak back into it. Costa Rica could do the exact same thing. You let another big CONCACAF power sneak back into it. And again, yes, it's a dead rubber, at least table-wise, for Costa Rica, but there will be players most likely playing for World Cup spots. You'd expect that match for Los Ticos to be a situation where you're playing you know, players 16 to 29 on your World Cup squad list. And so there's five, maybe you know, seven spots up for grab, and those guys are going to want to take that and grab that by the horns. So whatever 11 Costa Rica puts out there, I think they'll be focused and ready to play. That doesn't mean that Panama can't win that match, but again, it's, it's fascinating. And this is why this international I'm break is the best one Friday, of the four years. Friday football. And it's going to be must-watch television. Yeah. Even if you're not a United States fan, it's going to be very, very entertaining. Uh, I want to add if there's any other bubble-watch teams you want to talk about, either from South America, Europe, even you know Asia or Africa as well. I think there's some interesting stuff going on in South America. Um, Argentina and Chile, you know, a little bit on the bubble. and Oh, absolutely you, on the bubble. Absolutely on the bubble, not a little bit, but teams you generally expect to get through. It's not out of the realm of possibility that either Argentina or Chile miss this World Cup. Um, probably, I, I think it's fair to say the biggest match of the World Cup cycle comes this Thursday night at La Balmaneda. Um, Argentina against Peru. Peru, a team that's in form. They've been playing well. Argentina uh, have not. They got two points from their last window, a draw away to Uruguay and a draw at home against Venezuela. Argentina know where they're at right now in the World Cup, and because of that, they moved this match from the bigger La Monumental, but maybe less intimidating, to La Bombaneta, the chocolate box, the home of Boca Juniors. It just kind of builds on itself. Tickets sold out incredibly quickly. Resale market has been incredibly high. It's going to um, be a rabid atmosphere. Yeah, it's now or never for Argentina, because if they get three points from this match against Peru, they vault ahead of the Peruvians in the table, and they probably like their chances to make the World Cup. If they get a draw, it'll come down to the bot to the final match day. Uh, if they lose, Chile could absolutely pass them with a home match against an Ecuador team that's in, in complete free fall. And then Argentina is, is needing to try to jump teams on the final match day. And Jake, it would be just absurd, but also understandable the way that these Conmobile qualifiers have gone for Messi and Argentina to, to legitimately miss a World Cup, and it's not that far out of the realm of possibility. Meanwhile, Chile sits in sixth. Chile is a side who looked world-class when they played in the Confederations Cup this past summer. You know, I think we kind of took it for granted, or at least certainly I did, uh, how privileged we were to get those six South American sides playing in the World Cup because Brazil was the host in 2014. When you narrow it down to five, it is brutal. Meanwhile, you go over to Africa and the way that that's formatted, where you have five slots there, too. Burkina Faso right now 
looks like they could be making the World Cup, and Argentina or Chile could be on the outside. Looking. Cabo Verde, smallest <laughs> team to ever make a World Cup if they can. They're right in the thick of it now as a Portuguese colony. They speak I think my it's language. Really crazy that Ghana is probably going to miss it, which for their program. How ironic would it be if finally Ghana miss a World Cup and, and the US finally the U.S. also misses miss a World Cup? They could form their own little tournament where they just go at it for a couple months. The U.S. would still year. probably lose. Probably. probably. In, in, a bit, in a big Yeah, match. it's, again, I think there's questions of confederation kind of um, bid allocations that could be brought up. But again, I don't think the World Cup should necessarily exist to put the best 32 football teams on the I think the that's pitch. part of the, oh. the beauty of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I would certainly agree. Yeah. I mean, look, I was glued through that screen for the last match day in Asia. We were looking at Uzbekistan. Yeah. Their match was over. They had made the playoff. They were and celebrating they, on the pitch, and, and then, then they, they got the news. And then they didn't. That Syria had scored um, in stoppage time. All right, admit, UEFA World Cup qualifiers, uh, yeah. the bane of my existence, because we don't need San Marino to play 12 matches and get scrubbed every time. But there are some interesting storylines here. Uh, Netherlands may be going to miss another... No, they made the last World Cup. They missed but the they missed Euro. the Euro, sure. Yeah. So the Netherlands could be in a situation where they could perhaps miss um, a World Cup. That <coughs> group is very, very tight. France, Sweden, and the Netherlands. Somebody of those three is going to miss straight out. Somebody's going to have to go into the playoff. Italy looks like they're destined for a playoff. They'll be seeded, so you probably like <coughs> their chances. But again, you never know what can happen in a playoff situation. Um, and maybe perhaps the most intriguing one is Portugal and Switzerland out of that group B. Switzerland ahead of Portugal in the table right now. Portugal has the goal differential in their back pocket. They play head-to-head in this international break, so they could still vault the Swiss. The other thing is Portugal's playing in Andorra, and I can tell you right now that Cristiano Ronaldo loves beating up on the team. This is one of my great theories. It's not a great theory. Cristiano Ronaldo is going to get a hat trick against Andorra. It is going to be hailed as a national hero. Then he's going to play a big team, and he'll maybe get one or zero goals, and it'll be fine. Who does Switzerland play? I'm looking it up. Hang on. Continue to talk amongst yourselves. Swiss host Hungary. So, yeah, again, that's probably... I bet both of those teams will pick up the three points there, and it'll come down to their head-to-head matchup on the final day. But you're right. Nothing says Cristiano Ronaldo hat trick or poker (laughs) quite like Andorra or Applewell. (laughs) You know it. You know, you know, Harry Kane got a hat trick against FOL. You know who's really good, Austin Miller? Harry stop, Kane. Stop. It, I will have none. He's of gonna this. captain England. They're gonna beat Slovenia. Yeah, Harry Winks is in the side. His yeah. first senior call up. You, if you didn't know by now, you've been listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> but uh, big Tottenham Hotspur fan. Uh, big Harry Winks fan? No, not a big Harry Winks fan, but no, certainly more. Uh, appreciative of him now right. more than ever. Admit, I think. Oh, go ahead, Jake. Just a quick note. Uh, UEFA World Cup qualifiers. Keep an eye on Group I. Two points separate the top four sides: Croatia, Iceland, Turkey, and Ukraine. Little Iceland. It looked like that their dream was dead. They somehow lost or dropped points to Finland, and then everything seemed to break their way in the next uh, ensuing days. So Iceland's World Cup dreams are still alive. I think the best way for us to close up this podcast, Amit, is by making ourselves look like idiots, by making bold predictions that will surely come true. Again, I've been known to make some pretty good bold predictions. We have our tickets nearly booked for our UEFA Champions League quarterfinal trip to Istanbul, where Besiktas will absolutely qualify. You heard it here first, and second, and third. What's the update? We said last week we looked at tickets. We did. You have the update from last week. Only $700 a pop, so if there are any listeners of this podcast that want to form a little traveling group to Besiktas, we're happy to get go. in touch. Amit and I will make it happen. We'll head to the Vodafone for the quarterfinals. You, 
we we did provide that update for you. You can't say we don't deliver on. We deliver. It. But um, all right, let's get some bold predictions. Jake, you first. Oh gosh, you're really gonna put this on me. I didn't even know y'all did uh, bold predictions at the end of. Oh wait, no, no. we just like we to just like to say up. we just like say dumb things. Yeah, pretty much. Have no one hear them. Say dumb things. I can do that. Uh, bold <laughs> prediction: Iceland qualifies for the World Cup. Okay. Yeah, I'm it. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, Netherlands are gonna miss it. That's not that bold. Um, you need to give me two if you're gonna. Yeah, get yeah that. no, no, that wasn't that as one. That wasn't a bold one. That was just a. I, I am all in on the Netherlands being bad. Um, you know, give me Switzerland to miss it. Something's gonna go wrong for the Swiss. So they're gonna lose to Portugal and then lose in the playoff in November. Yeah. Okay. All right. Also, um, bold prediction. Not that bold. The USA playoff match against an Asian team is going to be. Pure spectacle, and I cannot wait. You think so? Oh, you yeah. think the U.S. is going to the playoff? I don't. I think they can do better, but honestly, like if it happens, I'm going to it's be so, so excited. It's so intriguing how quickly the my I, I used to be the only U.S. doubter, but now that they I'm dropped not necessarily home, a doubter. I you heard me earlier. I said I think they could do it, but if it happens, I'm just so excited. Yeah, to absolutely. See but now we've hit this point where all right, the Columbus thing over. Mexico broke yeah. that. And then the U.S. lost another home match to Costa Rica in New York. In New York, well, uh, in Harrison, New Jersey, sure. yeah. well, of course. And so now I feel like the thinking around this USA team is a lot different than where it should be. This is still a team that traditionally has been ridiculously good at home against Concacaf opposition, and it would be nothing short of absolutely mystifying if they somehow managed to lose three home matches in the hex to Concacaf teams. Um, again. I think Panama can get something from this match. I think CONCACAF has greatly improved outside of its top two. I think Costa Rica has made that a top three. I think you're seeing growth in the Jamaica program. I know they mixed the hex. Panama is good. Honduras has, has faded, but can still you know provide a scare every now and then. But I think this kind of doom and gloom around the U.S. is maybe a bit early. We'll see. We'll I think, see. I think U.S. fans are taking from the other elite soccer programs around the world and, you know getting a little bit of that England cynicism. Sure. What's your bold yeah, prediction? Yeah, my bold prediction is Lionel Messi will be watching the World Cup from home. Wow. Peru, I think, are going to go into La Balmaneda. I like the form that Peru are playing with. This match is going to go one of two ways. It's almost a near-perfect representation of what happened in the Copa Libertadores between Wilsterman and River Plate. Either Argentina <laughs> are going... It's such a deep cut that it's I, a, it's a I know what you're talking cut. about, but I appreciate so, that. Either this, either Peru are going to incredibly frustrate Argentina and win two one or one nil, or Argentina is going to score in the tenth, score in the fifteenth, score in the twenty fifth, and walk out six nil winners. Crisis oh, averted. I don't think there's any real in between. I love the form that Peru is playing on. Argentina has not impressed me at nearly any point in this World Cup cycle. Every single big match, they've left a lot to be desired. They were denied by an incredibly good young goalkeeper in Venezuela in their last home match. Peru are playing with the confidence of a team that thinks they can make the World Cup, and what a story that would be for Peru to come out of uh, the gauntlet that is Conmebol qualifying. So, Peru make the World Cup, Chile in fifth, and then they will make the World Cup because, sorry, Kiwis, you're not going to give Chile any problem. And Argentina will miss in sixth. Great. You heard all these predictions here first. Um, before we wrap up, and we're, we're about done, podcast our interview with Michael Moynihan coming. Jake, where can we find you on Twitter or uh, beyond, if you have any other outlets you'd like to plug. You can find me at Jake Liker. Easy. Wow. Easy. Straightforward. At Jake Liker. Austin, Great. 
We know where you are. Everybody we also know him. where else you are, but we won't say just to keep the... <laughs> you mentioned it earlier true, in the podcast. True, it's true. You know what the Northwestern Women's Soccer Ultras are on, on Twitter. Yeah, look, we can't we can't we give can, away the secrets of who's running that account, but whoever's running that account is doing a great job. Yeah. Just, That's uh, all I'll say. It's been another great episode of Kicking It. Thanks for joining us. If you listened this far... Don't know what you've been doing for the no, last. No, if you listen this minutes. far, you probably just clicked and, and missed your click again, looking yeah. for that Moynihan interview, and you get the last fifteen seconds of our rambles. Well, there you go. Well, that about wraps it up uh, for Jake Liker, Austin Miller, and Mitt Malik. It's been another great episode of Kicking It, the Northwestern Soccer Podcast. Tune in again next week. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now, what you've been waiting for—the interview with Michael Moynihan. Messi gonna miss the World Cup. Hi, I'm Amit Malik of WR Sports here for our weekly interview with head coach of the Northwestern women's soccer team, Michael Moynihan. Coach, recording this on a Tuesday, you're coming off of a tough road trip. You face Indiana, Purdue, got three points. Uh, what are your overall impressions of the road trip? You know, how do you feel with your team getting one win out of two? Uh, a little bit mixed. You know, we, we were really pleased coming back the way we did against Indiana, uh, you know, going down a goal. Uh, especially the way we did. It was a minute into the game, less than a minute. And um, the team seemed really prepared for that game and really fired up. And uh, it was played late at night. The, the field conditions, it was very dewy. And um, one of our defenders just slipped. They served a ball into the box. She slipped and they got a free shot and uh, scored. So a minute in, we're, we're down and just kind of stunned. Um, and so to respond from that, and come back and win it two to one on the road against a pretty physical team. Um, you know, we were really happy with that. And then I thought we carried some good energy into the game on Sunday, and um, you know, just we, we didn't get the result. And you know, I think there's a lot of things going on there, but we really wanted that one. And you know, to come away with anything less than six points, you know, we're we're a little bit disappointed. Going back to that Indiana game. You guys had the pressure on them basically as soon as you conceded for the whole match. It felt like it was always coming. Did, did you ever have any weight? Did you feel it was coming? You, what do you make at halftime to help that process along? Yeah, no, I thought uh, our response was great. I thought, you know, we immediately took over the game in terms of our possession, uh, field position. We were generating a number of really good crossing opportunities. Um, we had a couple of quality crosses that you know we just didn't finish, but by and large the crosses were uh, not to the standard that we need to finish. And um, aside from that, I was I was very pleased with the play. I thought late in the first half we started to lose our rhythm a little bit, um, and we let Indiana kind of back into the match. I know they were they were really fighting to get a foothold in the game and. Um, I thought they were able to do that late in the first half, and then in the second half, um, you know, we came out, got an early goal, and um, did much better with our. You know, the halftime was basically we're we're doing a lot of things really well. Uh, we just need to be able to convert our crosses and some of those opportunities. And sure enough, we you know we finished on two crosses to to win the game, so that was great. Uh, Reagan Steigler got her first goal as a Wildcat. Something she did a lot of high school was playing a little more in the midfield role this season. Um, what did it mean for her to get her first goal, and what do you see in store for her as a very talented one of your first-year players? Yeah, I th it was great for her to get uh, to get one. It helps her with her confidence, I think. The manner she got it, I thought, was great. You know, it was a cross that kind of led her into some traffic, and she just she got she beat everybody to the ball, and you know, showed great aggressiveness uh, to go and win it and, and hit it in with some good authority. So, 
I thought that was fantastic. Um, you know, hopefully it gets her on track. Um, you know, she's not used to playing forward and, you know, playing it at the collegiate level from the few times that she played it prior. It's very, very different. Uh, the defenders are so much more athletic and physical and you have to be a lot more proactive, which means you have to be familiar with the position. So she's learning that and, um, you know, hopefully it just gives her a little bit more confidence. And then Mich Michelle getting her uh, first goal of the season. Good cross from Marissa Vigiano. You know, what allowed her to get in such an offensive role? Usually your most deepest lying center mid popping up in the box for the winner. Yeah, I think, um, you know, she and Vig both were putting forth a lot of energy to get forward. Um, I think a lot of it was determination after being down, you know, in the game and just trying to have a presence. Uh, sometimes when Grace comes in, she can fill that defensive role a little bit more and that frees up Michelle to go forward. Um, so, you know, I thought Vigiano did great to, to beat her defender. She had good initiative, um, you know, put in a nice ball and then obviously Michelle attacked it really well. Uh, what I loved was she kept it down. You know, a lot of kids when they come in on those stuff end up popping the ball up and she drove it low and uh, it was a nice goal. And then talking about the Purdue game a little bit, it was a rather even contest, just seemed like it was a, you know, a tough, scrappy game. You know, what did you learn from that one? What are things you maybe thought your team could have done a little bit differently? Well, you know, what we were really disappointed with was we came out, uh, we gave up two goals on corner kicks, and that's very, very unusual for us. Um, you know, I think we have to give Purdue a little bit of credit, and part of the responsibility is mine for not preparing the team, you know, for what they saw. Um, <laughs> but I don't know that I've ever seen a team send five people out on a corner kick like that. And uh, not something that we typically prepare for, which, um, you know, credit to them for coming up with it. They generated a really good chance off the first one. Um, our players weren't proactive enough. You know, we, we, again, my fault for not giving them some better direction on what to do in that type of a scenario. Um, but we did not problem solve in the moment very well either. So they ran one play like that, earned a corner kick. Um, and then ran the exact same play, slightly different outcome in terms of how they executed, um, but sent the same numbers and we just, we didn't deal with it well and that, that was troubling. Um, you know, it just, if you just look at principles of play, we should have been able to figure it out and we didn't. So that was, that was hard to take. I think the other thing that was hard within that game was um, the first 20 minutes or so, I thought we were fantastic. You know, we, we came out very well moved the ball well, dominated field position. Um, Purdue's corner kick was really the first sniff of anything they had. You know, I don't know if they connected any passes, uh, more than two or three passes prior to that. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I think our players got a little bit rattled. They knew there was a lot at stake. Um, they'd been playing really well and to give up the goal against the run of play, I think they, they just got tense and we played tense and then we started making a lot of bad decisions and giving away simple possessions. Um, I think credit to Purdue again, they, they were a little bit more physical than us. They were, um, they anticipated more than we did and beat us to some balls that typically we do better with. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a few things we can definitely learn from there. Um, still some passages of good play and we certainly had our chances and we didn't convert them so you know uh, we have to do better with that
looking ahead to this weekend, one game, just one, but a very big one against rivals Illinois on the road. A few things to touch on. First thing I want to ask you is, you know, what does it mean to have just one game you can focus on, don't have to play two in a, a quick stretch? Yeah, the turnaround between college games is way too short, and it's hard, and the, you know, what it does to the training environment really limits the training opportunities. This is our first week to get in a a good training session with the whole team available um, in quite some time. I think it'll be our second for the entire season. So hopefully the weather holds out and we can actually get that training session in. It's not looking so good right now, but uh, we hope to be able to get it in. But the, um, uh, you know, it's a massive game from the standpoint that Illinois is a a very solid team. Um, They have not had good results. So the ranking right now, like RPI and all of that, uh, it's much lower than really the level of their team. Uh, they took Penn State into double overtime. They took Rutgers into overtime. Uh, they earned their first victory, you know, this past weekend over Indiana, um, who was a team that gave us a lot of trouble. So, you know, it's going to be a very, very competitive match. We know that it always is against Illinois. Um, and we got a rebound. We got a rebound from a tough loss. So we got a. A lot on the line, I guess. And a standout player to watch Illinois definitely is their goalkeeper. She's kept them in a lot of those matches, you know, getting them to overtime a few times. You know, obviously you, you want to finish every chance you get. How does knowing that you're going to face an especially tough goalkeeper kind of factor into your, your preparation at all or just what you tell the team on game day? Um, you know, I, I don't know that a whole lot will be different. Um, you know, our, our emphasis with our kids is always – you know, keeping the ball on target. Sometimes we get a little too excitable, you know, or too excited when we get in front of the goal. And uh, it's, you know, focus on what you can tr- control. Look up, pick spaces away from the keeper, and you know, place the ball well. Um, it's going to be the same whether it's a good goalkeeper or not, I guess. So um, you know, we just have to keep taking chances, and um, you know, hope that uh, that we find a way to the back of the net. And you mentioned it a little bit, obviously, Northwestern versus Illinois, a big rivalry team last year you faced. Last regular season game of the conference play, we were able to seal your your share of the title, the conference title against them. You know, what's it mean for your team when a little bit extra is on the line? You know, how, how do they feel mentally going into such a big game? Yeah, well, you know, it's a rival, so they're always excited for that. A lot of the players know each other, and, you know, there's history going back through high school and youth soccer and stuff, so... Um, yeah, it's it's fun, you know. The I think within every Big Ten game, there's something you know special about the Big Ten games and a little extra energy. When you have an in-state rivalry, uh, it's even a little bit more. So, um, you know, we hope to we hope to go down there and put forth a great effort and hopefully get a result. And then lastly, you know, who's one player you're looking forward to? We always ask this to to step up and especially make an attacking contribution. Try to get you guys a goal from open play. Did that twice against Indiana. Yeah, um, I'd love it for you know just keep expanding the the number of people getting onto the scoring sheet. Uh, you know, I think the more people we have scoring, you know, doing it um, in mass, uh, the better for us. I think there's a lot of people that are capable. Um, so I don't I don't know if I want to single out a certain player and put responsibility on just one. Um, but I think we have a number that are capable, and I just I, I hope we find that uh, decisiveness in the final third and that confidence that, that we need to win these games. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Coach. Good luck this weekend. Thank you, Tim.